Um, we're continuing with the series that we just started last week, Doctrine for the Day-to-Day. And last week we talked about paterology, God the Father, and certainly did not cover everything uh, that is related to God the Father as revealed in His Word. Um, but I hope that what we looked at and what we shared was an encouragement and a blessing to you. I hope that uh, you were able even to think about some of those things as we went on in the week. Uh, there's so much wrapped up in these, these areas of theology, these focuses that we have. And uh, just like we, I just said about God the Father, no way we covered uh, even close to everything. Um, the same is going to be true as we go on this week and talk about Christology. Christology. And Christology is, of course, the study of God the Son, of Jesus, our Savior, uh, the eternal Son of God. And it's true with Him, too, as, as we look into some of the, the key uh, aspects of what God shows us and reveals to us about His Son through His Word. Uh, what we talk about today is really just barely scratching the surface. Uh, there is just no way uh, that we could cover everything uh, that should be covered and should be focused on in the person of, of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and in His work. It's really like what John the Apostle said at the end of his gospel. He said, I, I suppose if, if all the works of Jesus and all that He said and all that He did were recorded, that, that nothing on earth would be enough to cover it, would be enough to, to have the material to write it all down on. Uh, there would be just no way of capturing everything, and that's how uh, it's always going to be. For all of eternity, we'll be learning more and more about our Savior, about who He is, about what He's done, about the depths of His work for us. I mean, those riches are, are just going to be impossible to exhaust and to ever just say, oh, we finally got it all. I've, I've learned it all. There's nothing more to know about our Savior or about our God. That's never going to happen. Um, but what I do want us to do is to just really dive in together today. And as uh, I present some, some key points of emphasis as it relates to the study and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, uh, I really hope that even though it's just a, just a portion, that it will be enough to stir your heart enough to reignite your awe at the Savior that we have, to reignite your gratitude, and to, to cause in you uh, a desire and a passion to give all of yourself, to live all of your life for this one that gave all of himself for you. That's my hope and my prayer. In fact, we're going to pray to that end right now before we jump in together uh, to this, this awesome, awesome part of theology, Christology. So pray with me, please. Uh, Father, we come to you acknowledging our weakness. We come to you acknowledging our finite minds and our limited understanding. And we come acknowledging all that you are, and specifically as we talk about your Son today, all that He is. And Father, we also acknowledge and admit that to even come close to understanding anything at all about You and, and to really grasp these, these riches, these high and lofty truths about Your Son, Jesus, we need help. We need the illuminating work of Your Holy Spirit. 
And so I pray that it would not be me primarily that's heard, but rather through me, though I am not worthy in the least, that through me your Holy Spirit would speak. That He would shine a great light on the majesty and the grandeur and the beauty of our Savior. That we would come away, all of us, with a sense of renewed awe at who this is we, we call Savior. And that we would not just be in awe, but that we would have a renewed desire and a drive to live our lives for this One who is everything and gave up everything to give us everything. May You work in our hearts. May You work in our minds. And may You be glorified and honored with all that is said. I pray all this in... Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Christology, the study of God the Son. And what we need to establish at the very beginning, it's just so foundational to understand this, um, and it has been so misunderstood throughout the ages and the source of many false teaching and heresy. It's why it's so important to get this right at the very beginning, and to let this be a foundation from which we build everything else that we say and think about Jesus, is this. Jesus is co-equal with the Father. Co-equal with the Father. That means He's co-eternal. As the Father is eternal, always existent, so is the Son. Uh, As the Father has all these divine attributes, all-powerful, everywhere-present, all knowledge, so does the Son. As the Father is completely and and incomparably holy, so is the Son. As the Father hates sin with a passion, so does the Son. As the Father alone is able to to do a work in in man's heart and to change them, so the Son does. So co-equal with the Father. Everything that is true of God the Father is true of God the Son. Always has been, always will be. And not only is He co-equal with the Father, Jesus the Son is the actual Creator of all of creation. Uh, We said last week that the Father was the author of creation. He willed it. He purposed it. He ordered it. But it's the Son, Jesus, who actually did the work of creating. He's the actual Creator. And not only is He the Creator, He's also the Sustainer of creation the entire universe. So co-equal with the Father, all of His divine attributes, all of His ability, His character, the same is true of the Son. And as the Father willed creation, the Son carried it out. And He sustains all that was created. Keeps it all going. John 1, 1-3 tells us this. John 1, 1-3. In the beginning, and that's just like what we read of of Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This says, in the beginning was the Word, Logos. I brought your attention to that last week. And I said the Logos is the, the thought and the study and the explanation of, of all that is wrapped up in 
in God. And it's logos is a Greek word that actually means the ultimate reason, the ultimate thought, the highest thought, the highest wisdom. And it also, of course, uh, means explaining that that wisdom. So, in the beginning was the word, the divine reason, the divine supreme wisdom. That's what John is conveying by using logos here in this context. And the word, this isn't just some concept, but you, you see very quickly that this is actually a person. And so, to apply the highest reason, the highest wisdom, and perfect explanation to a person, it would have to, have to be applied to God. No one else could fit that description. No one else could be worthy of such a term. And sure enough, that's exactly what John is saying. Look, look at the rest of this passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in complete fellowship, in complete partnership, in unity, and in harmony. And the Word, here's a bomb dropped, and the Word was God. So you you see two individuals here on display, but these individuals are sharing divinity. So the Word was with God in partnership and fellowship and harmony and in unity, something only God could do, because God is not going to share His glory with with another. He's not going to share His attributes with another. He's not going to be completely unified with anybody but God himself. So the Word was with God, but it's not just that there was this partnership. Rather, there was a sharing of the divine nature, the divine being, all that is the substance of God. Because it says this Word, who is separate from God the Father, but was also what God the Father is. So God the Father being divine and eternal, supreme, so is the Word. The Word was God. All that the Father is, so is true of this Word. And it goes on and it says, He, the Word, was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. God the Father, God the Son, on display, in beauty, in majesty, in holiness, and in the act of creation. God the Father willed it. God the Son, the Word, who always perfectly explains and communicates the Father all of His purpose, all of His will, and carries out that will, the Son was actually the one doing all of the creation. And as I said, He's not just the Creator, but He's also the Sustainer of all that was created. Colossians 1.17 shows us that. He, speaking of Jesus, He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. That means that He maintains and sustains all of creation. The fact that you're sitting here, breathing together, all of your cells working properly together, the fact that you're sitting in a chair that that has all the molecules bonded together enough to form this chair and hold up your weight. The fact that we're not flying off of the planet because gravity is still intact. The fact that the sun rose this morning and it will, Lord willing, set this evening. All of that, all of that is due to the fact that Jesus 
didn't just create all those things, but rather He holds it all together right now. Every second. So your very breath and your life, moment by moment, is a gift. And it's a gift from the One who holds it all together and keeps it going. And at one point, at some point in the, in the future, or it could be, you know, any time, at, at some point in God's perfect plan and timetable, when all that is right now goes away, and it's all burned up, and it's all made new, that's not going to be anything at all for Jesus to do. All He's going to have to do when it's time to let this all burn away so He can make it all new again is simply let go. Let go. And then it all, it all burns up. And then it's all going to be made new. So Jesus, the Creator, is also the sustainer of everything. And that's something that we have to establish right away as a foundation before we go any further. It's absolutely crucial that we get that right. Now saying that, I do want to continue on and um, show you some more just incredible, mind-blowing truths and things that are absolutely um, uniquely part of what it means to know Jesus and who He is and what He does and and His attributes and His characteristics and, and aspects of Christology that we have to absolutely not just know, uh, but apply. So, moving on from the fact that Jesus is the Creator and the Sustainer, I want to point out to you that Jesus also fully reveals the Father to us. So He was used of the Father to create the world. He's the agent of creation. The Father created everything through Him, by Him. But it didn't just stop there. Jesus, God the Son, fully or perfectly reveals the Father to us. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God. And that's speaking of God the Father. No one's ever seen God the Father. We know that all through the Bible, all through the Old Testament, again and again, um, God the Father made it very clear that if any human looked on Him directly, saw Him directly, person to person, face to face, that person would have to be killed instantly. Why? Because God is so supremely holy, and we talked about this last week, that He cannot stand sin, not even for a moment. It can't be in His presence even for a second. Sinful man, holy God, it doesn't mix. It, it doesn't fit. God cannot allow sin into His presence for any length of time at all. That's why when Moses said, please, Father, show me Your glory. God, show me Your glory. I want to see all that You are. And God said, well, Moses, I, you know, I, I appreciate that desire. That's great, but you can't. I, I cannot show you my glory. You can't look on me face to face with all of my glory unveiled because you would die if that happened. So I'm going to put you in this rock. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in the cleft of this mountain and I'm going to pass by you. And as I'm by you, I'll turn you around and you can see my back. And just that alone, and all the other times after that, that God was, was with Moses in the terms of the presence of God without it being the full force of all of His, his glory and holiness, it, it still was never face to face, as it were, 
And just that alone made Moses' face shine with the glory of God. But all through the Old Testament, whenever anyone um, had any sort of personal experience with God, if they, they thought that they actually saw God, they were terrified. And they said, oh, that's it. My life's over. I've seen God. I'm going to die now. Because there was this fundamental understanding that mortal sinful man cannot look directly without any sort of filter or protection on the face of the supreme, perfect, holy, glorious God. So no one has ever seen, literally, God the Father. And he continues, John, writing this, continues. And you could almost say, but, right here. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, same person as the Word, earlier in John 1, who was with God, who was God, and who created everything, same person, same divine, eternal person, second person of the Godhead, the one and only Son who is Himself God, And remember, this is not saying that He is the Father. Separate from the Father, but the same divine nature, the same substance. What the Father is, the Son is also. Okay, Who is Himself God and is at the Father's side, He has revealed Him. Or you could say, expressed Him perfectly. So, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, He has revealed Him. Jesus fully, completely, perfectly reveals the Father to us. Hebrews 1, 1-3 tells us this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Think Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all these prophets who, who spoke about God, who gave revelation of God, but it was not a final revelation. It was not a full revelation, and it wasn't a perfect one uh, on their part or, or from them. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, which Jesus started, by the way, the coming of Christ, His incarnation, started the clock ticking on the last days. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Catching a theme here? Jesus being the Creator. Through whom also He created the world. Verse 3 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. The radiance of the glory of God. Think of, think of the sun. This is a weak example, but it still works. All right? Think of the sun. We, we can't look directly at the sun because we'll have a lot of problems if we do. I mean, it'll blind us, and, and you, can't, you just can't do that. And even if you look towards it, you're not really seeing the full sun in all of its power and of all of its fullness. We, we see the sun, and we recognize the sun, and, and we, we know it, and we feel its effects by its rays, right? By the the rays of the sun, by its light, by its heat. That's our experience with the sun. S-U-N. Well, when the writer of Hebrews here says that he, the S-O-N, sun, is the radiance of God's glory, it's it's kind of like that. He's the 
the beams and the, the rays of all of the, the splendor of holiness and light and power and majesty and beauty that God the Father is. He's the expression of all that the Father is. The radiance of the glory of God. He's the shining out of the beauty and the radiance of all that God is. And He's the exact imprint of His nature. So that means what and how the Father is, so is the Son. Separate from the Father, but the same nature, the same character, the same nature, the same desires, the same purpose, the same will, the same divine attributes, and and everything that is true of the Father is going to be true of His Son as well. The exact imprint of His nature. And here's another concept that we've already looked at and talked about. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Then He goes on. After making purification for sins, which is why God the Son, the Word, came to this earth and came into our experience and took on humanity. It wasn't just so He could walk around and check things out. It was so that He could give the life that He took on to Himself as our sacrifice needed for our sins, needed for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's what He did. He went to the cross. He gave Himself. He paid the penalty for our sins. That penalty was fully accepted by the Father, which the resurrection proved and showed as being fully sufficient and fully accepted. So after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. That's speaking of His Father. And that shows that His work was complete. There was nothing else that Jesus needed to do. His work on the cross, His work as Messiah, completely sufficient and completely accepted. So His work was complete. It also shows us by Him sitting down at the right hand of the Majesty on on high, that was the, the place of highest honor, total glory, that no one else but God could do. No angel would ever be permitted to sit down at the right hand of the Father. No mortal, no matter how righteous they might have been, no matter how pleasing to God they might have been, no one but one who was also God could ever sit at the right hand of the majesty of the Father. So it it just points to the fact that He is one with the Father, separate from the Father, His own person, but the same substance, the same divine being. Then, I also want to draw your attention to John 14, verses 8 and 9. This is before the cross, and Jesus is giving His last instructions and last bit of teaching and last communication to His disciples before He would go to the cross. And He tells them, I'm I'm about to go away, and where I go, you're not going to be able to go, but in a little while you'll see Me again. And so, bless the disciples' hearts, just like us, they'd be like, uh, what? Uh, duh. <laughs> they just weren't getting it. And, and we, we wouldn't either. I mean, it was just kind of over their head. And so then, here's what took place in that dialogue. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father. Just, just show us the Father. That's enough for us. I, I may not know everything else you're talking about. I may not get it, but, but tell you what, just, just show us the Father, and I think we'll be able to figure things out if you do that. 
Show us the Father and that's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time, these three and a half years, Philip, doing all these things you've seen me do, telling you all these things that you've heard me say? I've been among you all this time and you do not know me? You you still don't recognize me, Philip? That's what he's saying here. You still don't really get who I am? You still don't get the connection that's happening here? Philip? And then he says this, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? It's a little bit of a a comical interchange here and sad at the same time because Philip just still didn't get it. But again, we can't be too hard on Philip because I don't think we would have gotten it either. What he's saying here is, Philip, you want to see what the Father is like? You want to know what He's like? You want to understand His heart? You want to understand His mind? You want to get a a glimpse and an understanding of His nature and His character, what He's passionate about, what He values, what's important to Him, what He hates and despises? You want to really know and understand and see the Father, Philip? Then look to me. Look at me. Because I am one with the Father. Again, he was not saying, I am the Father, but he's saying, everything the Father is, I am as well. So if you want to see him, look at me. And the same would would be true for us. The same needs to be remembered by us. Do you want to see the Father? Do you want to see the Father? You want to know what the Father's like? You want to understand him? I hope the answer is yes. Then Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, church. Because Jesus is the perfect and complete picture of all that God is. He's the perfect picture. All through Scripture, up to the point of the Incarnation and up, through, up to Bethlehem prior to that, in what we know as the Old Testament, in that whole time period, all those years, many, many times... People, mortal, sinful, fallen people, had an encounter and a personal, literal experience with the divine. But it was never God the Father that they saw completely or directly. It was always the second person, the Word, who always explains and reveals the Father. It was Jesus appearing to them before He came as fully man in Bethlehem. You guys have probably heard and read different passages where there's this mysterious figure that shows up known as the Angel of the Lord. Capital A, Lord all in caps. And this this person interacts with different people. Think uh, Abraham, think Gideon, Joshua, Moses, David. I mean, on and on we could go. There's so many examples uh, where... Um, think Hagar is another example, uh, where this, this divine being appears, and right away you see he's not just some angel. He's not just an ordinary angel, because he commands, he gives instruction, he refers to himself uh, as divinity, uh, he accepts worship, which no other angel ever does. In fact, when people try to worship angels, they always say, no, stop that. Don't do that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a servant of God like you are. But this figure exercises divine power 
and miracles and speaks with divine authority and receives worship and even demands the worship that he should get. And so we we gather from that the fact that no one has ever seen God the Father and yet people have still interacted with God. It has to be Jesus. It has to be God the Son. So always, 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 Jesus is the picture and the communication and the expression of all that the Father is. What else is true of Jesus? He doesn't just create. He doesn't just sustain. He doesn't just reveal the Father. But as He reveals the Father, and as you come to the Father through Jesus the Son, here's what He does. Here's what He makes true. Don't miss this. This is just so incredible. Jesus transforms every believer into a miracle of new life. That's what He does. He transforms every single believer into a true miracle of new life. So that means every salvation story is a miraculous story. It doesn't matter whether you came to Christ at a very early age as a child or whether you've lived most of your life as an adult and towards the end of your life you came to Him. It doesn't matter. Every single salvation is a miracle. And here's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us about that. The Apostle Paul writing says this, Therefore, if anyone, anyone, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. That means it's a present reality. You know, we know that um, at, at one point, looking ahead, in the, in the future, future reality, we will all be changed into a, a, a glorious new creation. We know that we'll be um, no longer filled with sin. We'll no longer be weak in our humanity. We'll have a whole new body, a whole new humanity, right? We, we know that from God's Word, and man, what a day that will be, right? When we're no longer tied to this flesh and skin that's so tied to sin, Wow. But here's the good news, Christian. You don't have to wait until then to be made new. Because in Christ, you're already a new creation. That's your reality. It's a present reality and a future fulfillment. What else did Jesus do? How how did He make us a new creation? How did He make us new? By doing this. Jesus took our sin, took it on Himself, and gave us, in exchange, His righteousness. That's how He makes us new. That's how He makes us a new creation. Jesus took our sin and gave us His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 shows that, demonstrates that, proves it. He, speaking of God the Father, made the one who did not know sin, that's speaking of His Son, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in Him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. This this transaction, this exchange, is actually a, a theological term that you really should know called double imputation. 
double imputation, not double amputation. That's something entirely different. Don't confuse the two. Make sure you put an I instead of an A. Double imputation. That means what took place at the cross and then what is given to every believer who puts their faith and trust in Jesus and in what He accomplished on the cross, what happened is Jesus, the perfect, eternal, sinless Son of God, the eternal, perfect Savior, actually, when when He took our sin on Himself, in the sight of God the Father, in the sight of His Father, He actually became sin. Now, that, that does not mean He Himself sinned. Okay, we've got to establish that. That doesn't mean he personally at that point became a sinner. He was still a sinless Savior and a, and a sinless, completely righteous sacrifice. He had to be. What it means, though, is that all of our sin was put on Jesus and that as the Father looked at Jesus, he saw all of our, son, all of our sin on top of his Son and judged his Son for our sin. So all of of the judgment, all of the divine wrath and, and justice of God that had to be carried out fell on His Son who was bearing all of our sin. So that before the Father, it's as if Jesus was the essence of sin itself. That's why the Father turned His face away. That's why Jesus on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the cup that Jesus said, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. In the garden when he prayed and he sweat drops of blood, that's what he was talking about. Because he knew he was going to become all of our sin. So that we could receive all of the righteousness of Jesus. So that when the Father looks at you and me, if we are in Christ, He doesn't see the sin that makes us human, that is part of our humanity. He doesn't even see the sin that we still foolishly, horribly choose day in, day out. No, rather, He sees the very righteousness of His Son covering us. That's what double imputation means. It means... Our sin was imputed to or transferred over to Jesus. His righteousness was imputed, transferred over to us. It's an exchange and a transaction that took place. And it's something only God could do. And it just keeps getting better. Watch this. Listen to this. Understanding that and and recognizing that and believing that and and coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I believe you're my only hope for righteousness. I believe you're, you're the only hope that I have to stand before your Father and not to be judged. I believe you took my sin. I believe you took the judgment on my sin in my place. I believe you gave me your righteousness. When you believe that, when you absolutely know that to be true and you confess that and you come to Christ in that way, here's What else happens, believer? Knowing God the Son as your personal Savior means knowing God the Father as your personal Father. Just just realize, think about that. I mean, realize what that means. You, the sinner, you, the rebel, you, the enemy of God, have been given the privilege, the undeserved honor of through Jesus as your personal Savior, 
Knowing Him means that you're able to know His Father as your Father. It's incredible. It's incredible. John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. He didn't say, I'm, I'm one of the ways to God. I'm a source among many sources of the truth about God. And, and I'm one possible choice at embracing life with God, experiencing life with God. No, he didn't say that. He cleared it all up. He said, there, there's nothing else you can find that will give you the way to God. There's, there's no other source of truth beyond me. I, I am it. And there's no other way of having a life with God eternally. I'm it. He said, I'm the door. I'm the door to God. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the truth about God, all the revelation of God that is needed. You're going to find in me and me alone, and I'm the only way to have eternal life with Him. No one, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. This was all part of that same dialogue with the disciples where Philip said, show us the Father. We don't know the way you're going. Jesus said, yeah, you know the way because you know me. I'm the way. I'm the way to the Father. I'm the way to the truth about Him. I'm the way to have life with Him. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then John 1, 10-13 says this, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. We've already definitely established that. Yet the world did not know, did not recognize, did not receive Him. He came to His own, verse 11, and His own people, His own creation, did not receive Him. Tragic, horrible, incredibly sad. But thankfully, it doesn't just end there. Verse 12, but to all who did receive Him, which I hope is true of every single one of you here today, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, recognizing all that He is, all that He came to do, that that means believing in the the person and the work of, of Jesus Christ, who believed in His name, He gave the right, which you would never have on your own. You could never earn. You could never work for. You could never manufacture. No one else could give you. Only Jesus could do this. He gave the right, which was not yours naturally, by birth, to become children of God. Children who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's what Jesus did and made true for you and for me, for all who are in Christ. He doesn't just forgive us for our sins. He doesn't just take our sins away. He doesn't just give us salvation from hell. That's that's not the extent of what it means to come to Christ and to be saved. It means He actually gave you a whole new family. He brought you into His family, and He made His Father your Father. It's amazing. Also, just as important to to know and to remember is this. Not only is Jesus the only Savior that we could ever have, but Jesus is the only priest we will ever need. Jesus is the only priest 
we will ever need. We don't have to go through some man somewhere and, and depend on them for our right relationship with God. We don't need to depend on any other human being to give us access to God. We don't need any other human being to stand in the gap, as it were, and plead for us and represent us to God. We don't need that at all because we have the only priest we ever need, the only perfect priest there is, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 7, 23-25 says this, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, speaking of Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That means right now, this very moment, Jesus, your Savior, your great older brother, because He made His Father your Father, that means Jesus, your Savior, is also your divine brother. But Jesus, your great high priest, your great older brother over the household of God, is standing next to the Father, interceding for you and for me right now. And he always will be. Always will be. Now, all of these things are important concepts and facts. Facts about Jesus. And incredible pieces of information that you really need to know and believe. But listen, it's not just about facts. It's not just about having head knowledge. It's not just about recognizing these things as being true informationally. All of this has to translate into practical, real-time, day-to-day action. All of this is meant to impact your daily living. That's why I've called this whole series on theology Doctrine for the Day-to-Day. It's about how these, these concepts of theology inform and impact your daily life. So, that being said, because Jesus... Because Jesus is all of those things that we've just talked about, and so much more. I barely scratched the surface today. But because Jesus is is all that we have just looked at and talked about together, here's what it means practically. Here's what it means for you personally in your day-to-day life. And hang with me, okay, because I'm going to kind of go rapid fire through these, but I I really want you to, to listen and get this, all right? Because Jesus... Because Jesus is co-equal with the Father, He must be honored and worshipped just like the Father is. Because Jesus is the Creator and Sustainer of everything, we're accountable to Him. We answer to Him for everything. And that means also we can depend on Him in every situation, and we can trust Him with every part of our life. Because He is the Creator and Sustainer. Because Jesus fully reveals the Father. We don't need a source of divine revelation beyond Him. You don't need to look to any other person or any other piece of information to get a revelation and an expression of who and what God is. Look to Jesus. He's the perfect picture of it. And because Jesus makes us new, listen to this, Because Jesus makes us new, we don't have to be plagued by our past. You're free from it, Christian. 
because Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness, we can, we can, we can reject sin and choose to be righteous. Apart from him, we don't have that choice. We're always going to choose sin every single time. We're hopeless and helpless apart from Christ. But because he took our sin, because he gave us righteousness, we can choose to reject sin and to embrace righteousness. Because Jesus made us his family, our whole identity should be defined by that reality. Because Jesus made us family, his father, our father, him, our brother, because of that, we need to define our entire identity by that reality. There's so many distractions that come at us to distract our, our identity away and, and to, to cause us to look for other things to to drive our identity and to define our identity by. We, we, we convince ourselves and we fool ourselves into thinking that we have to look a certain way. We have to be a certain thing. We have to have certain things. We have to know the right people. We have to go the right places. All of that is what makes us really us. What job we have. The type, the type of house we have. The type of car we drive. The type of relationships we have. What we see when we look in the mirror. See, that's what we have convinced ourselves foolishly, tragically, that make up our identity. We've, we've allowed ourselves to believe that lie that our identity is all those other things. But Christian, your whole identity is wrapped up in who Jesus has made you, in what He's made you, a child of the living God. We have to define our identity by that reality. And then last but not least, because Jesus always intercedes for us, all of Satan's accusations against us are silenced. Satan is called the great accuser of the brethren. And he comes right in before the throne of God the Father, and he just levels accusation, accusation after accusation against all of the elect, trying to condemn us, trying to show that we're not worthy of salvation, which we're not. But praise be to God, guess who's standing right there the whole time? Jesus, our great high priest, our great older brother, our great creator, our great sustainer, and he stands there and says, not so fast. That person you're accusing and condemning, there is therefore now no condemnation for them because they're in me, they're covered by my blood, and they are covered in my righteousness forever so you can be silent. What a Savior we have. I hope you know Him. And if you don't know Him, change that today. Change that today. It's why you are here so that you could change that, so that you could know Him. And if you know Him already, you were here today for this, so that you could remember all that Jesus is and all that you have because of Him. Pray with me. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for how true it is. Thank You for how relevant it is. Thank You for how powerful it is. And thank you that in your word we see your son, cover to cover, Old and New Testament, your son is on display. 
And the whole story of your word is really a redemption story that points to Jesus as the center figure in it. And Father, in seeing your Son, we see you. In knowing your Son, we know you. So help us please to know him better so that we might know you better. Help us please to love Jesus more so that we can love you more. And help us please to walk more closely with Jesus so that we can walk more closely with you. And I pray if there's anyone at all here that has not yet given their life to this this great Savior that we've talked about today, your great Son, please let today be the day where they stop making excuses, they stop running, they turn around and they give all of themselves to your Son Jesus And by giving all of themselves to Him, they will be receiving all that you are. May that be true of anyone who has not yet done that. And for those of us who have have committed our lives to Jesus, help us to remember all that is true of us. Help us not to define or be driven by anything else for our identity other than who and what we are and all that we have in and through Him. Help us to have our whole identity be defined by the fact that we are your family. Made that through your Son and through His sacrifice. Help us to see ourselves through the lens of His righteousness. And then in response to choose righteousness and to reject sin. Help us with all this, I pray, by the power of your Spirit, whom we have because of your Son. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.